All right, we are wrapping up our series, Don't Be a Pharisee. I hope you have really enjoyed this series. Um, it has been really challenging for myself, and I know I've had a few conversations with people that are like, this one, this one hit a few heartstrings along the way. Um, <clears throat> I, I kind of chuckle. Last week I was talking with somebody, and they said, Man, Matt, the last two weeks have really just been a punch in the gut. Like, I just feel so convicted about everything you've been talking about. To which my wife then jumps in behind me and says, You feel convicted. You should see Matt as he's getting ready for each and every one of these messages, sitting at the table, borderline crying. Like, I'm pretty sure the one night I was finishing up getting ready, and I was like, I, I am a Pharisee. I, I would have killed Jesus. Like, that is how convicted and moved I was by everything. It has been a really good series, and I, just so you know, the point of this series, there's a goal with every single series that we do, the goal was something like this, as we put our put some pressure on a few uh, areas of work and the challenge to not be a Pharisee, is we as a church are always looking for ways to invite people to join us. We think that the community we have here at the church and the resources and the things that you find here at church, you can't find anywhere else. And so we want people to come. The problem is, is that oftentimes, if we let these things that we've been talking about, we've talked about a lot of different things for the last six weeks, if we allow these things to fester, people don't like to come back. There's a pride problem in church. It's not, you, you, there's lots of pride outside, and you shouldn't have to find it here, if there's legalism, if there's, if there's things in the church that are not appealing, then people aren't going to come back. And so we want to be a church where everyone and anyone can walk through the door, they find belonging, they find acceptance, they find, they find a home here. And the things we've been talking about the last six weeks can very often get in the way of that home, inviting, welcoming so if you've missed the last six weeks, if you're just joining us or just tuning in today, I invite you to go check out our YouTube channel, watch the other five, because um, in my humble opinion, I think they're pretty good. And one of them, I didn't even have my notes, and it came off okay. So it, it's, it's good. So this morning, we're finishing off our Don't Be a Pharisee with the idea of gift projection. Now that seems like a odd combination of words maybe. I was really interested to know where this was going. And to introduce it, I'm going to actually look at the opposite of gift projection, and I'm going to look at what is called gift envy. And here's how gift envy works. I'll just throw it out to you guys. Have you ever been around somebody or watching a show and been envious of the ability of the person you're with or the show that you're watching? For example, if you're watching the NHL playoffs right now, you watch Connor McDavid just effortlessly glide down the ice back and forth at mock chicken, like just going as fast as he does. I get tired thinking about how fast he skates. Like it's just, he is a cut above. He score, you know, he is an exceptional player. And so it's easy to be envious of his ability to do what he does. Everyone online, you throw in the comment section, what is something that another person can do that causes you to be slightly envious? Anyone in-house brave enough to throw out an idea? Deb, instruments, yeah, the musicians. I have, I don't have gift envy of musicians. I have enough other things to do. But you guys that can do in play instruments, it's amazing. 
It is really a talent, and I'm glad that some of you can play more than one instrument because you offset the rest of us that can't play any instruments. So kudos to you that can play instruments. Anyone else brave enough to throw out an idea? I have another one. I'm going to throw myself under the bus real fast. Um, in church world, there's a group of people that are gifted as evangelists. So if you don't know what an evangelist is, an evangelist is somebody who loves to like go out and talk, to, talk about Jesus to whoever and anyone who gets too close. Like they, are, they have this passion, they have a boldness, they are just exceptional. And I have a couple friends who are evangelists through and through. And the way you know you're hanging out with one of these guys is when you go for lunch at a restaurant, um, they have to know the name of everyone on staff and they have to... The, your waitress has to declare Jesus as their Lord and Savior by the end of the meal. And if, if they haven't, you order dessert so we have more time for them to talk some more. And they're just passionate, they're bold, they are relational, they're amazing people. But every time I hang out with one of these and I go sit through one of these, like, oh, seriously? Can't we just have a meal, man? Like, why do I have to do this again? We walk out, and, you know, they're, they're down if they haven't had any success in the conversation that they've had. I feel guilty because I'm not like them. I wish I was bold like them. I wish I was passionate like them. I wish I was just brazen enough to do what they do. And I often feel guilty. I often feel envious because it's like what they're doing is so good. I wish I was more like them, but the reality is, is the way that God has wired me and gifted me, I'm not. So gift envy is when you look at someone who can do something exceptionally well and want to be like them. Gift projection on the other side is if my evangelist friend made me feel guilty because I wasn't like them. Gift projection is when <coughs> everyone Gift projection is when you have a gift, and because you love your gift and you're so gifted and talented with it, you just believe that everyone should have the same gift you do, and if they don't, you look down on them. So you believe, so, <coughs> and this could be anything. You know, you, someone has a passion for reading God's Word, and because of that passion, they have delved deep, and they've spent hours reading and studying, and they know the ins and outs, and they have just have this breadth of knowledge. And because of their passion and because of their zeal, as we, as we saw in the kickoff video, they just believe that everyone should be as passionate and zealous and crazy about God's Word. And if you're not, then it's like, well, there's something wrong with you. Why don't you have the same gift, talent, passion that I have about God's word or about worship or about fill in the blank? We, there's so many things where someone can be passionate and excited and they just have this. And this morning, one of the ones that the church has been bad for is tied to, I don't know, like I said during prayer, today is a special day on the church calendar. Today... It's Pentecost Sunday. Now, if you didn't know this, we don't advertise it really well. I realize that. Uh, we are a Pentecostal church. Now, I really appreciate slash kind of like get convicted a little bit. We have a, had a lot of people come through the doors and be like, you're the least Pentecostal Pentecostal church I've ever been a part of. Cool. 
um, I think you mean that as a compliment, but I didn't, fee- didn't land like that. So Pentecostal churches find their root in the day of Pentecost, and we're going to read the Pentecost story. Um, actually, we're going to do that. I'm going to read the story to you, just a little blurb out of it, so you understand what's going on. And then I'm going to unpack, unpack it a little bit about how it applies to our church. So Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. So Acts, Acts chapter 2, what has happened is Acts chapter 1, Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He's getting ready to ascend to heaven. He tells the apostles to stay in Jerusalem because he's going to send his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit is going to come and give them the gift and the ability to preach the word and preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom throughout the whole world. And so the disciples are gathered, they're worshiping, they're hanging out, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And we would say that this is their Holy Spirit baptism, this Pentecost experience where the Spirit comes upon them and gives them the ability to speak in other languages. And what we say, what, how Scripture interprets that and how we interpret that is this is the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. It is the ability to speak in a tongue that you have, it's a supernatural ability to speak either heavenly language or a language that you never knew before. And how the story goes is that these tongues rest on the, the apostles, they start preaching, and there's thousands of Jews in Jerusalem. Pentecost was a big Jewish holiday. There's a bunch of people visiting in town, and all of a sudden, they hear the gospel proclaimed in their own language. Everyone, they're from all walks of life, they're from all different nations, and every single one of them hear the gospel proclaimed in their native tongue. And as a result of it, and as a result of Peter's preaching, 3,000 people got saved. This is one of many stories in the New Testament where there's this Holy Spirit, Pentecost, baptism experience, evidenced by speaking in tongues, and then people empowered to do great and mighty things for God. And we, as a Pentecostal church, one of our theological beliefs about God, one of our distinctives is this right here, the ability to speak in tongues. And what has happened in the past, I'm going to throw historical Pentecostalism under the bus a little bit here, um, what has happened in the past is gift in tongues was taught in such a way that it was almost an expectation that everybody would have this gift. And the reason that it was taught that way is because they take a verse, there's a quote in Corinthians from the Apostle Paul who says, I wish that all of you would speak in tongues. So the Apostle Paul has this desire that the Corinthian church would all have this gift. And so we pick up that verse and we're like, we, we desire the same thing. We wish all of you would have it. But when we preach that too hard and we push that expectation, it starts to sound like something is wrong if I don't have that gift. It starts to sound like there's something wrong with my relationship with God, there's something wrong with my walk, there's there's something wrong because God hasn't given me the gift of tongues. I was reading a story about a pastor recently 
by all measures, this would be considered a very successful pastor. Uh, he grew up in a Pentecostal church like ours. He heard this, that everybody should receive this gift, and he didn't. He went on, moved across the country. He's down in the States. He moved to the other corner of the, the country from where he, was, he grew up, and he became a pastor. He planted this huge church. He never gives any of the details of where he is or what happened, but he was leaving they just opened their 10th campus, and each of these campuses held over 1,000 people. Okay, that's a big church. They're just leaving the ceremony of opening their 10th campus. They're on their way home. He's driving with his wife in the car, and he breaks down saying, when, is it, when am I ever going to be good enough? Sorry, what did you just say? You are knocking it out of the park. Why in the world would you ever say that? Because he'd never received the gift of tongues. And this gift had fueled him, pushed him to, do just to be something that he wasn't because he felt like this was a gift he needed to earn. And so he was doing really well. People were getting saved. The church was growing. It was being amazing. But something in his heart said he still wasn't good enough. There's still something wrong. And now this is just one gift, but this is the danger of gift projection is that it gives this idea that if you are not all exactly alike, if you don't all have the same giftings and callings, that there's something wrong. <coughs> As a result of this forceful, Pentecostal, speaking in tongues expectation of the past, as all good things, there's been a pendulum swing. So the pendulum on one end was everybody must have this gift. And it's swung now to the other side where we don't even talk about it anymore. And a lot of Pentecostal pastors are scared to talk about it because they're scared they're going to do the same damage as guys in the past have done. The damage that's done is not intentional, but when we are not careful with our words, not careful with the way that we communicate things, we can really do some unintentional harm. And that's the problem with this whole talk, the whole thing with the Pharisees, is that when we get this Pharisaical, if we... I, I said last week, there's no Pharisees in one church. Let's just be honest. We're, we've, we've got it all figured out. But if this Pharisee idea starts to move in, we can start to cause some really unintentional, unintentional harm, even though we may have the best intentions. <clears throat> and the unfortunate part is that we have now swung to this way. And if you've been a part of one church for a while, you know we don't talk about this a whole lot. We've almost actively avoided it prior to my arrival. I've been not so shy about it. I, liked it. I like the idea, but anyways. Um, the problem is that this is not, <laughs> this is not the gospel that Jesus taught. Jesus didn't say we all had to look alike. Last week we talked about how life would be so much easier if we we're all just a bunch of clones. We all were offended by the same thing. We all got excited about the same thing. We all got mad about the same thing. If we we're all just a bunch of clones, we'd always get along but we're not. We're all unique individuals. In fact, we are so unique between our personality, our values, our gifts, everything that makes up you. If I were to switch places with any one of you and like, keep my personality, keep my gifts, keep my values, keep everything about me, but I lived your life verbatim, exactly the way you lived your life, if I shared all of your experiences, I still wouldn't turn out the same as you. Because God has made you so unique. God has made you so special 
that each and every one of us have a role to play exactly the way we are. You, the idea that everyone has to have the same gift and the idea that I'm not good enough because I don't have this gift is bogus. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12. And this is a passage that if you've grown up in church, you've heard this one lots. But I, this morning I want to put a slightly different spin on it so that we can really see and appreciate what Paul is saying here. So 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. The human body has many parts, but many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and all sh- we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. The foot says, I am not part of the body because I'm not a hand. That does not make it any less part of the body. Gift envy. I'm not the hand. I don't do what the hand does. Thus, I, am not, I don't belong part of this group. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? Again, gift envy. And then it flips. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? So this whole, the eye is saying that because you're not an eye, you don't belong, you don't have a part to play. The ear is saying that you, because you're not an ear, you don't belong, you don't have gift projection. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. The parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require the special care, so God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. And this is the way that it was explained to me very recently. So you take your body. If you have the perfect figure, right, like six-pack abs, the cool hair, the, you know, the right, you're, you're going to probably attract a little bit of attention. People are going to notice that you are, you got it all together. You may end up on the front of a magazine. You, those are the more honorable parts. They're the more visible, and you get recognized because of your care of those parts. However, if you have significantly less hair than you did 10 years ago, and your body more resembles a pear, than a V, you can still live a long, fulfilling, happy life. Even though you have not, your body does not reflect what the culture says is acceptable, you can still live full, you can still be used of God, you can still live out your life. However, talking about the weaker parts, if there's something wrong with your heart, your days are numbered. There's something wrong with your liver. Your days are numbered. And this is what Paul is talking about when he's talking about the weaker parts. I don't ever want you to see my heart. Like my physical heart. If you see my physical heart, something is very wrong. 
You see my liver, something is very wrong. These are the weaker parts, yet these parts are the most indispensable because they are the most necessary for us to live and flourish and be healthy. And this is true of the church. So often the church gets fixated on the honorable, the visible, the big parts, and they say as long as the big parts are good and healthy, everything is good. But the reality is that our church is full of hearts and livers and kidneys, and they are actually more important to the health and revitalization and the endurance of the church than the more visible and the often more honored parts. The evidence of this is you go to the persecuted church, places where church is illegal to have. You cannot have a pastor because he will get arrested. You can't have a worship leader with your music blaring as loud as it can because you will get found and you will be all arrested. And yet, without these more honorable, quote-unquote, more honorable, without these more visible parts, the church in the persecuted areas still continues to flourish. Why? Because they focus in on the parts that aren't seen. They focus in on those things like the prayer warriors who don't often come up on stage. They're actually hiding in the back room praying for us as we meet. They focus in on... Focus in on those gifts and those people, those parts of the body that often go unnoticed and yet are completely vital to the health and well-being of the church. And this applies to us as well. The health and well-being of the church is not dependent on one or two people. It is dependent on every single person using the gift, using the calling that God has given you, whether it is big and bold and vocal or it was quiet and subdued and often goes unnoticed because often the unnoticed people, the people who are behind the scenes, are always the most important. (coughs) Gift projection... This idea that we all have to look alike, we all have to have the same calling, we all have to do the same thing, destroys that. It destroys the beauty of the collage and the beauty of what God has destined and called the church to be. It's called to be this mixture of different personalities, different backgrounds, different experiences, different nationalities, different everything, all working together in this unity that is so hard to keep sometimes, but so worth it, so worth the fight doing things that we could not possibly accomplish on our own. So if you're here (laughs) and you have envy because you're not a prayer warrior, because you're not the person on stage, guess what? You have a gifting and a calling that the church needs and you step into it. We're going to be better even if nobody else sees it. Before we close, I want to come back to this whole idea of speaking in tongues. Now, I said that Paul said in Corinthians that his desire was that all would have this gift. And I want you to see something very closely. It's in 1 Corinthians 14. It's one verse that there's pulled out of, and it wasn't even the whole verse. So I want to look at it. I want to, because I want us to remember that we can't take things out of context. We can't just take a half a verse and build our entire life around it, because that half a verse probably isn't the full message. It probably missed something along the way. And that is, the, that is what has happened here. 
1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 5, Paul says this, I wish you could all speak in tongues, because that's the part I quoted you, but even more I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying, so that the whole church will be strengthened. Paul goes on to say that it would be better for me to stand up here and speak ten words that you all understand than a hundred thousand in a language you don't understand. Why? Because nobody gets anything out of it unless someone stands up and interprets what I have said. Paul says, I wish that you would all be the mouthpiece of God, speaking the truths in a language that everyone can understand, because that is the better gift. Why is it the better gift? Because it helps everyone. As someone who speaks in tongues, I, I echo Paul's desire. I wish all of you could. I really do. I really wish that all of you could have this baptism of the Holy Spirit experience. I wish all of you could speak in tongues because on a personal, spiritual level, it is probably the most amazing experience I have in my Christian walk. It is something that if I do not do it on a regular basis, my walk starts to suffer. But if I do make a point, it is so rewarding, so fulfilling, so edifying but this gift that does nobody else any good. What is actually more good is for us to have this gift where we can speak truth and speak life in a language that is understood so that all of us can be built up, so that all of us can be edified. The problem is that we just don't have a lot of prophets kicking around anymore. Or we do, but some people just don't use the gift. So what am I saying? I'm saying... As a good Pentecostal, I'm not just towing the company line here. I do desire that all of you would experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I do desire that because it enables you to do the ministry. And every single one of you is in full-time ministry. Just because you're not in the church does not mean you're not full-time. You are, you are in ministry whether you're working for the town, whether you're wherever it is that you work. That is your ministry. That is what God has called you to. And we need the empowerment and the ability to do it well that comes from God and God alone. So my desire is that you would have this supernatural, Holy Spirit, infilling baptism experience. But I'm not saying is that you are less than if you don't. Because at the end of the day, it is a gift. And some get it and some don't. But you are still a valued, important part of of the church, whether you have this experience or not. Because God uses everybody, wherever they are at, whatever he has done, whatever he has spoken to you, you are a part of this body. You have a part to play. You're part of the team. So it is, (laughs) don't ever let anyone look down on you for the gift and the calling that you have. Not everyone can be the pastor, not everyone can be the worship leader, not everyone can work in the sound booth, but you all have a part. You are all deeply valued, and you are all necessary for the church to do all that the church needs to do. And don't let anyone ever make you think otherwise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God. I thank you for your word that tells us about these experiences and these stories and that we can be encouraged by them. And God, I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that each and every one of us has. 
Whether or not we've been baptized, when we declare you as Lord and Savior, your spirit comes and dwells on us. It becomes the seal of our salvation, becomes the, the guarantee that what you have accomplished will, never be, will, will not change. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here. I thank you, God, that you are speaking to us, that you never leave us or forsake us. And Jesus, I thank you for the myriad, the abundance of gifts that are here, both in-house and online and in Redverse. God, I thank you that every single person here is a valued part of your goal and your vision. And God, I just pray that everyone is encouraged to step into the calling and the passions that you have placed on them, that nobody... God, I pray against the temptation to be envious because we don't have a certain gift or be envious because we don't have a certain personality, but you have designed us, destined us, made us exactly who we are to do exactly what you've called us to do. Holy Spirit, I invite you to just come to speak to us, to encourage those that need to be encouraged, to be pushed for those that need that push to get going. Whatever we need, Spirit, we invite you to come and to speak to us. And Jesus, we love you. As the prophet Isaiah said, when you called, is there who who can I send? May our hearts be here. I here am I. Send me. May we be a sent people, God. In your precious name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.